everywhere you show up has to give me that feel of luxury, luxury, excuse me, and actually has to showcase that you are. And that's really, really important if you're a small brand. That's how you stand out because you're staying up consistently everywhere you are. Welcome to today's episode here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. I am your host, Megan Young Gamble. Y'all know my introduction, business owner, all those things. I am an everyday consumer who loves products and packaging. And for today's episode, I am so excited to have our industry powerhouse, Nicole Sims. So Nicole is the founder of Creative Visual Solutions, a retail sales coaching company that shows independent retail business owners how to improve brand positioning increase sales, and attract customers through proven merchandising, marketing, and sales strategies. So guys, y'all are in for a treat, especially if you've been thinking about getting placement into retail. You go to these pitch meetings. They're like, hey, you got to get your packaging together. You're in for a treat because Nicole is going to give you all the tea that you need to help you succeed with getting placement in the retail stores, okay? And so, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us on today's show. Hi, Megan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. So excited. <laughs> yes. Well, before we get into all this tea we're about to get into, share a little bit about yourself and how you got into the space. Sure. Well, um, I've been in retail industry for about 35 years. So I actually started at Express uh, way back in the day. I will tell you how old I am, but wait, in the day as a co-manager. And I wanted to be a DM. I wanted to be a buyer first, but the buying was not my thing because I found out that buyers only spend four weeks out of, you know, out of a, like a week out of a, a month out of the year at home and they're always traveling, crunching numbers. I'm like, no, I don't want to be a buyer. I want to be a district manager. And I want to wait to become a regional, things like that. So I wanted to be the operational side. So I'm working mm -hmm. at Express. I'm loving the company. You know, Express is different than it was then than it is now, but it's still a, um, a trendsetter. And we have we had to do floor sets every month. I'm like, okay, floor sets. Okay, little floor sets. And I loved it. And I realized I was really good at it because they give you a plan, but you obviously have to change it to your store type. And I was really good at planning it out. I was really good at seeing how our store was different and making adjustments and really making our store pop. And my DM noticed it right away, like, you're good at this. So I actually became the visual, the visual point person for the district. And everywhere since I've gone from there, I became either the visual person, even was an unofficial title. It wasn't a real title, but they saw my talent. And I would go train other stores, train other members. So it's been something in my blood for a while. So um, I really ended up um, loving being in that space. So I became a district visual for Forever 21. I was the first one in Chicago. It kind of dates me, but it's from Chicago. <laughs> and then I became a regional visual for Sports Authority, where I really took off. Where we, a lot of things we're going to talk about today came from working with brands like Nike, Under Armour, um, working with... Um, North Faith and really having to do a lot of the marketing side, the inventory side, the branding side of the business. That's what a lot of today we're talking about came from those 15, those 14 years there. 
So that's kind of a summation. But yes, I really love what visual merchandising can do for a brand, for the bottom line. And we're going to talk about that in a minute, but really what it can do for your business. I love that. And honey, Express was the truth. And I think probably during the time you were there, they were part of the limited brand that had like Victoria's Secret, the limited store. Some of these kids don't even know what limited is the store um that's before y'all time so we're dating ourselves it's wisdom on this side <laughs> but it's amazing how you started off just as a store manager and was like I did really good with doing the different floor sets that were changing out every single month with the different promotions to then going to sports authority forever 21 excuse me then sports authority so the fact that you have a very diverse experience with just visual merchandising from apparel for different types of audiences to tennis shoes and different tennis shoes and apparel for different audiences too. And so considering like your experience and you've been in this industry for 35 years, like y'all, did y'all hear that? She is seasoned. So she know what she's talking about. Okay. Um, but considering your 35 years of experience work starting in retail to now, what are things that you have seen, you know, since you've transitioned working with independent brands that they're not doing? That's a very good question. And that's one reason why I started my business in the first place, because I saw I was on um, a Facebook chat for boutique owners and I saw them asking the same questions about visual merchandising and about marketing and they're answering each other, but they're answering it incorrectly. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys, this is not what this is. Understanding that a lot of people that you work with that I work with have a passion for the part they're creating, a passion for what they're designing, but they don't know the retail industry and they don't know the what it takes to actually run a retail business. So what I've noticed is a lot of them are just basically going with the herd, going with the flow and understand or step back and go, okay, there's actually methods and strategies to visual merchandising and for marketing and for branding that you have to make sure that you're telling your right story. We're going to talk about storytelling a lot. You're going to hear me say that a lot. Telling your story, telling your brand story and knowing who you're talking to. And that's the one thing too that people don't think that visual merchandising comes with who who's the end market? Who's the end person I'm talking to? That dictates how I show up visually because I want to tell the right brand story to that person so they get it. Not everybody else I'm not talking to. They don't get it. That's fine. But my visual merchandising, my marketing and branding is for that one person. That's what I see a lot of mistakes are made because they're trying to talk to everybody and anybody and not really narrowing it down to now I want to talk to this person. She's 35 years old. She makes $150,000. She loves to travel and she loves luxury handbags or she loves luxury perfume and she loves luxury um, uh, candles, whatever you're selling. And that's what she wants. And when you, you speak to her, everything shows up that way. You're going to make more so impactful. And I'm glad you spoke on that because even when I work alongside of my students and clients, I ask them, who is their avatar? And they're like, these, all these people, how are not, how do I know that this product is talking to me, Megan, the consumer who loves lip gloss, who likes something that's very minimalistic makeup, you know, who makes X amount of income, you know, who likes to travel, mm -hmm. likes to be portable. How are you talking directly to me instead of everybody? That you out here talking to because if you're talking to everybody you're talking to no one really it's really impactful that you all have your proper client avatars and the art of storytelling and i'm i want to talk about the art of storytelling because from a visual standpoint in merchandising and having your different floor sets we know how it's going to look and it's beautiful and especially when you're starting to work with retails they already know what those floor sets are going to be and they're already pre-planning in advance but what are things that brand owners can be doing as part of telling their brand story 
and how they communicate that on the packaging to then make sure that they're showing up through the visual merchandising? That's a great question. So that's where understanding who you are as a brand comes in. So your, your packaging is a reflection of you, a reflection of what your product stands. And mm-hmm. that's actually the first impression someone's going to get is your packaging. So if your packaging, I can go into the Lux model. If you're a Lux candle, you have to have a certain kind of look to you, a certain kind of color tone, a certain kind of font you have around you. You have to have a certain type of even, even the um, fragrances that you choose have to have a Lux feel about them. So everything about you has to show up. Lux has to show up high end. And so when you're doing your vision merchandising, you want to make sure, especially let's say you're online, your page has to look Lux. Your coloring has to look Lux. The fact that you, you're um, balancing where you're showing enough pictures, but enough information, but the way information is says is not just all like word, it's actually positioned strategically. So it actually involves me and includes me. I feel more, I feel heightened. Like when I get to your page, I feel, whoa, I feel kind of like I stand up a little hot taller. I feel a little yeah. bit better about myself because I'm acting with your brain. Same thing in the store. If you're in a store, now this depends on if you're going into a smaller retailer or a big box retailer like Target. It does depend because Target, like you said, they have their own standards already, but you get to dictate or you get to talk to them about, okay, well, if I have, I want an end cap. And on my end cap, I want certain kind of fonts. I want certain type of signage. I want my signage to be this coloring. I want to have maybe um, 50 items, but I want to arrange it in a sort of way that it seems um, expensive and it seems um, kind of exclusive, all right? Mm-hmm. You want that on your on your pad, but if you're in a smaller retailer, you can have more say. Like, hey, I want this whole section over here, this whole wall, or this little shelving section, and the way we merchandise is going to make it feel more elusive. So all of that comes into play with how I feel because you're telling me your lux everywhere you show up has to give me that feel of luxury, luxury, excuse me, and actually has to showcase that you are, and that's really really important if you're a small brand. That's how you stand out because you're staying up consistently everywhere you are. I love that. And just to reiterate some of the key points that you mentioned, guys, did you hear that Nicole said packaging is the first impression? I say this all the time. It is the first impression. You are dating me in that first impression. If I like you, then I'm going to continue to date you. And then the product is what's going to keep me invested, keep me interested in it to keep me in that pipeline to then want to go back and get some more. So guys, packaging is the first impression. The product is what keeps your clients in your pipeline and the experience is how you retain them. So when Nicole is saying the same thing, I I encourage you all to think about. So y'all hearing it from this retail specialist in this powerhouse right here on the show. So I want to talk about something you just mentioned, which is depending upon which retailers you're working with, whether it's independent or smaller retailers versus big box retailers and the different um, inputs that you may or may not have. From your experience, what does that look like and what can brands really start thinking about based upon the retailers they're starting to pitch and go after? Yeah, that's a really good question because I know a lot of people, but my dream is to get into Target or my dream is to get into, you know, Macy's and that's a great dream to have. But you have to understand by going to those big box retailers, you're one of many cards, okay? You're one of the many different brands that they sell. So they want to sell you because, okay, you could add to their bottom line, but again, you're adding to maybe a portfolio of 50 other brands. So mm-hmm. you want to make sure that one, that you, when you're pitching to them, that you fit into the aesthetic of them, you fit into them. Okay, we have a luxury bath line. How do you fit to a luxury bathroom? You only have 30 brands. Why do we need you? Okay, so make sure you're talking about that. But once you get that deal made, understanding that you won't have as much wiggle room on how you're presented. You want to have some kind of thing. You want to, you know, take what you can, negotiate as much as you can to get a nice space 
um, mm -hmm. the rest of the shelving with everything else. And once you start making more money, then you have more negotiating power. When you start getting that profit margin up with them, oh, okay, they're one of our top, you know, 15 lines. Okay, now you can talk some more. But mm -hmm. understanding the waiting period for that. So be, be mindful of that, be aware, and just be patient. If you have a good product and you're doing what we're talking about, you will get that. But again, you will be one of the many brands of the offer. For a smaller one, that's where I think a lot of you guys should be going for. The midsize was smaller because you have more negotiation. You have more because they need more brands. The smaller mm -hmm. brands, they store, they need more brands. They need more things because they need to compete with the larger big boxes. So they want, yeah. they need you, but as you need them, right? <laughs> so you have a little more um, negotiating room about your presentation, about how much skin cast space you have or how much wall space you have, or if you have your own table, which I really highly recommend if you can get a table, in cap or a table. And then it maybe cost you a little more upfront. Like, okay, we want you to pay a little bit more for that, but you're going to be one of the top brands. People are going to see you first, and you're going to have a larger profit margin. So you have a little more wiggle room with that. So both ideas are good to have. They're going to be great for your brand. Understand the negotiating power you have upfront and what you can negotiate later. I love that. And I think, you know, a lot of brands, we see the big box retailer and we see all these notorious household names getting placement in Target and Walmart and Kohl's, Sephora, Ulta, those are great. And some of these retailers have accelerator programs to really help elevate and really cultivate indie brands, you know, with their positioning. But to your point, there are other independent, small, mid-sized retailers that are looking for brands to be competitive with big boxes. And we're also in a, I call it a paradigm shift where these smaller and mid-scale retailers, they're wanting these other brands, indie brands specifically, to get placed so they can expand their outreach, their customer base, to get more people to come into their stores to try out new products and see what's out there so they can be competitive just like Target. And so with you talking about getting into retail and even like these small indie mid-sized retailers, what are some things or some successful retail campaigns where product and packaging aesthetics plays a significant role in boosting sales and the brand reputation? I love that question. The first one that came to my mind was a beauty bakery. I don't know if, you know, if you're familiar with beauty bakery. Yes, their I packaging is iconic. Packaging is, is everything, right? If you guys are familiar with her, her whole thing is beauty bakery. It's everything it's like a baked good around baking. And mm -hmm. so her packaging is so spot on, but it's also elevated in a nice little pink. So it's round, actually it's yeah. rounded on nice little pink tones as well. So it's elevated. You know it's a woman's brand. You know it's feminine. You know it's high end, but you also know it has fun and it's cheeky. And the mm -hmm. thing that comes to mind with me is I just love the fact that it's highly identifiable. And then when she got an Ulta, I was I was so excited. I, I, wear, I wear her stuff. It's so excited to see an Ulta and her everything her packaging her even her end cap her section looks like beauty baker so that's an mm -hmm. example of being creative being cheeky being you know very very different but also being um packaging and identifying yourself from everybody else and one thing mm -hmm. i liked about beauty bakery that made her stand out that caught attention to her was she's one of the few first brands that had um the darker skin tone foundation be number one Yep. And then going opposite. If anybody understands makeup, you know what I'm talking about. It always yep. goes from light to dark. First goes dark to light. And she was one of the few women that did that. So I kind of spotlighted her um, difference in the marketplace as well as her aesthetic was being so different and so creative. So that's one brand that I think you just have to take a look at to understand how you can be different, how you can be on trend, but also be innovative and also actually um, showcase your innovation in a way that really resonates and really uh, elevates your um, niche. 
I love that. And Beauty Bakery, they do a phenomenal job with like their brand positioning, the packaging, the aesthetics and design to even like all of their visual merchandising, like everything is cohesive. So just like what Nicole mentioned earlier, it is the art of storytelling and having everything connect as part of your brand. That is your brand positioning. So guys, y'all are hearing it right here from the guru, the powerhouse herself, Nicole. She is letting y'all know what to do. And so thinking about like just Beauty Bakery, like you, we've seen her evolution getting placement and now in Ulta. And a lot of times these brands start off and they don't have the capital to invest in a really luxe packaging. They may not have the capital for placement in these retail stores. And so from your perspective, what can brands do when they lack capital to ensure that they're still properly showing up, standing out to make sure that their visual merchandising is on point? That's a great question. And it reminds me of one of my clients that I had who's an uh, independent hair um, brand. And when we started working together, her packaging was pretty simple. It was pretty basic. And just by changing, she spent, you know, she couldn't do a lot, like you said, a lot more things, but she ended up saying, you know what, I'm going to invest in different bottles for my hair care line, just different bottles. Mm -hmm. And then I designed her logo and her, and her label to be a more of a richer purple color. That's mm -hmm. it. We just changed the packaging from being like a more of a cheaper kind of plastic to a higher grade glass. And then we changed her label to be a little more richer color tone and it blew up. It was like, it was, it was night and day. And that's all she did. And then she did better showing up better on her website. We changed her website look, the way it looked, it looked more luxe and looked more, um, have better images of women with natural hair. So it spoke to her client, most to her target market. And then she showed up more social media. All of that mm -hmm. was a budget. You just pick one thing you need to invest in that will make the biggest difference. Whether sure, I would start with your packaging if you can. If you can't do packaging, then how you show up on the internet. Your website mm -hmm. is your golden ticket. Your website has to be on point and showcase. You can spend, you can do that yourself or get somebody inexpensive on Fiverr and get that website correct. And then that from there, you can start going for the more expensive things. But you want to make sure you do one other way. It's going to be your packaging and then going into how you show up online and also meaning how you show up on social media. You have mm -hmm. to make more than just do post like TikTok videos of your product. You have to actually make some kind of story and show up, making sure that your posts have the same kind of luxe feel or same kind of trendy feel, whatever feel you have, that your messaging, your packaging, your colors are all the same. That has mm -hmm. to all transition. So you can do that right now. Go to mm -hmm. camera right now, update that right now, or go on your Shopify store up now and update that right now and do that move right now and make sure that's changed and then go into the more expenses. I love that. And and really the biggest takeaway from that, just from your client and how you help elevate her packaging and the and her web assets is, guys, It is you may go through multiple iterations of your products, of your packaging, of your site. Be okay with change. Be okay to know that you are evolving as a brand. And as you start getting more sales, you reinvest that back into the business to do next thing. So just like with Nicole's client, where she mentioned just with the packaging, having different bottles for her hair products and then changing the label, that's something so simple, guys, and something that can be beautifully executed to still give you that elevated experience, luxe experience, et cetera. And then while you're working on those things, one thing I also recommend is start pricing out present day what the idea looks like for your packaging. So if you know you want 
hot stamp and all this embellishment or embossing, start getting pricing now so you can start factoring that into your retail price and know what your profit margins are going to look like when you are ready, because that is a great exercise to do. Do not wait when you're ready to do it or you're out of packaging. Start doing these exercises now. So when you start working with Nicole for visual merchandising, you already know like your different evolution and the different products and the packaging and the different merchandising you'll have too in the web assets. So I love that. So thank you for sharing. So since we're still on packaging, one of the big buzzwords right now is sustainable packaging and really sustainability because sustainability is being applied across all industries, right? And so with sustainability constantly increasing and it's really becoming important, how can retailers integrate eco-friendly packaging and aesthetics into their visual merchandising and marketing strategies? That is a great question and very multifaceted, but I'll try to get into it. So the first part of the packaging. So I think the packaging to me is actually going to be one of the most simpler ways to do because now so many so many of the packing um suppliers are focused on that. I just came from Magic in Las Vegas and a lot of the suppliers for who had packaging, who had your bags and had your boxes, they all had a whole eco-friendly section. They all talked about sustainability, so they're already on it. So I think you can find that a little easier than the recycled materials because the industry is kind of going in, is going that direction, like kind of is going that direction and kind of like regulating it. So those manufacturers are already on it. So that won't be as hard as you think it will be because if you say, hey, our eco-friendly packaging, they already have it. I would eco friendly bottling, recycled material. Oh, I already have that for you because they have to, right? Mm -hmm. To stay competitive and stay with. So that won't be as hard. So you can get that. When it comes to the business merchandising, that's when you have to get a little more creative and still out there. But you want to look for natural materials. You want to look for things that are recyclable papers or recyclable materials for your displays. That might be a little more challenging, but again, it's still out there because of the industry is already shifted that way. So as long as you do a little research, you can find it as you want. You want to make sure that how you show up in the stores, you're using materials, using things that are recyclable, that are biodegradable, that have natural dye and things like that. So that people are already talking about that. Um, another way you can do this is um, through digital signage. Because if anybody's been to work in retail, we throw away signs like crazy. It's like every every season you have your big sign package and then you dump it up, dump it out. I always still be crazy working in the companies that I work for. We would have literally sign dumps of like garbage full of signs every single season. But mm -hmm. you know, it's not sustainable. You should be doing that anymore. So to get to start to change that, there's a digital sign that's a little expensive, but if you can invest in it, I think it's worth it. And if you go to the big box, some of them are already doing it already. Or they're doing digital signing where your messages can change weekly, monthly, quarterly, or whatever you need to. But all you do is in the computer system and it changes for you. That saves a ton of waste, a ton of paper, and it's actually visually appealing and it attracts a lot more millennials, a lot more people like who are digitally focused, like, oh my God, that's so cool. And they want to interact with it. It allows you to have more interaction with your product as well. So actually boost customer engagement as well. So that's like two, four, one for that. But there's ways you can do it, but you have to do your research. But I think um, as long as you do your research, it's already on top of mind, all the suppliers are ready. So it won't be as much of a hard time as it was five years ago. Five years ago, you probably have more of a challenge, but now it won't be as difficult. Do your research, know what you want, what you can afford, and what's more important. I love that. And oh, we, you just talked about like what we were five years ago to now. The ways of working is totally different. And we've seen a lot of retails close down to transition to e-commerce because of this, we're in a digital age now, unfortunately, thanks to COVID. 
And so thinking about like this transition where we still have retailers transition to more of a digital space, what can brands do to, to ensure that they are properly positioned themselves from a digital visual merchandising standpoint to make sure that their brands show up and stand out? What do you recommend? This is a great question. This is what I do a lot of my clients is that is that website. That's the such an essential part of your business. And it's that homepage and that first homepage, you put so much effort into it. So you mm-hmm. want to make sure that that homepage is visibly appealing, meaning that it catches the eye. It engages me. It has a nice mixture of product as well as information. You have wonderful photos. Your photos have to be on point. You have to have mm-hmm. on point photos that are clear, that are crisp, that are telling the story. And then using video. So those are the simple, easy right now ways. You want to get a little more advanced. You can start doing 3D renderings. You can start doing virtual reality. You can start AR, which is augmented reality. And so you can create more experiences around your products. So what you can do is you can, if you have the AI technology, if you want to invest in it, and there's a lot of programs out there you can do that are now waiting for that. And Shopify is getting closer to that as well as other um, apps you can add to your stores. But way, let's say you're a candle brand. Um, and you want to show how some candle works in someone's house, but they can download a picture of their home and then 3D mm-hmm. render it into their home so they can see how it looks. Or same thing, you see the technology with trying on your face with lipstick. It's the same technology. You can just put it on and say, hey, I want to see myself. You download a picture of yourself and you put it on there. So you want to start implementing there more inexpensive as the years go on because more and more people are doing it and more and more companies are making better apps. So that's how you get visually, because the big brands are doing it, but but that the software is not just for them. The software is out there. So now yeah. before software was just for them, now the software is trickled down. So you can have mm-hmm. access to the software, to this AI and get little pieces of it there. But again, if you can't get out of the AI yet, your biggest thing is putting the effort into making sure that your visuals are on point on your, on your homepage, that is set up correctly, that I can read it, that I can go through it really clean and easily, that sure it's balanced. And that when I come on there, I feel something with you. I want to engage with you in that homepage. And you can do that now and then get into the other stuff later. But you have to make sure that when, I'm, when people find you on social media or they find you from a Google ad or Facebook ad and they hit that site, they want to stay there. You're capturing them. That's going to be the key. Oh, girl, you just talked about all the technology advancements that we have seen really just within the past three years that has really taken off because now we're seeing household names doing CGI through their billboards for that 3D impact. You see a lot of companies starting to incorporate AR. Um, I think Sephora, JCPenney's, they were like the top leaders to have AR for trying on makeup um, Mm -hmm. and Mac too. And now seeing that indie brands can start utilizing the same technology to help with their digital space is fascinating. And I have to ask you this because since we're in this technology age and you're talking about it, What's your experience or thoughts about like the metaverse, Roblox, all of those things? I actually think the metaverse is pretty cool. I think that um, before, because it came out well, a year ago, and I remember looking at it on a, on a group call that I was on and just kind of saying, this is kind of interesting. And then now all the applications of it and how you can go with the metaverse and actually look into things and actually try on things or actually be immersed in something before you try it out and be part of the community. I think it's pretty cool. I think it's pretty it's different. Mm-hmm. You have to get yourself around it. I think it's a way to actually create different communities, create more communities, to create more um, buzz around your brand to actually showcase more what you could do on um, 2D. It actually allows that 3D experience, allows people to really get um, engagement with your brand. So I think it's a really great option, a really great thing if you can get into it. Um, mm-hmm. and just try to use it some way so people differentiate you from uh, your competitors. 
But also, again, it allows you to tell a more deep and rich brand st- storytelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do a lot they can do on a two-way or two-way even in stores because you can do it so much in the store right but in yeah. metaverse you can actually do a lot of that and encompass a person around them and really have them really be engulfed in your your brand so i think it's yeah. i do too and let me tell you i went to lux pack and they talked about beauty in the metaverse and guys i was floored because i tell y'all i stay a student because there's so much in this industry in the different sectors of the industry you don't know everything. So you have to stay a student. And I'm even learning from Nicole on this episode too, you know, just a reference of like the importance of visual merchandising, how to show up, stand out in this transition we're in from physical stores, which are still present. And that's where a lot of brands rely on positioning their brands and getting new target audience, excuse me, attracting new audiences. But now we have this new digital space where you have Roboblox, T-Beauty just um, did a partnership with Roboblox. You have more people going to Metaverse like Lacombe, Estee Lauder, et cetera. And now y'all are having to think about the same thing and compete, you know? So we're in this paradigm shift, guys, where we still miss going to retail because you can touch it, you can feel it, you can see it. But on a digital space, you can just see it. But how do you get in that immersive environment and still show up? And be really cognizant about your own merchandising and making sure all your web assets align with the brand and that storytelling of your brand. So I think it's just fascinating. And I have to set up, I set up a Google trend alert every week to get a notification about beauty in the metaverse because it's so much. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm in the Sims game. Actually, like your name. (laughs) Remember the game, uh, Sims from back in the day? Some kids may be too young to even know that, but that was a whole game. We... They were forward thinking at that time, but we are in that age now. And so thinking about how like people or brands are transitioning into more digital space, how you can start incorporating more digital signage and 3D renderings, AI, AR, et cetera, we are seeing the rise in e-commerce significantly. And with that, how can retailers create a seamless omni-channel experience that maintains consistent product and packaging aesthetics? That's a very good question. And I also want to say we are going to digital space and we are going to e-commerce and that's really big. But I have a wonderful stat that I love to put on my Instagram. I love to put out there that still 85% of all sales are done in store. Mm-hmm. So don't get that twisted. You still want to be in a physical yeah. store. So you're still trying to get in the store. You want that. But the e-commerce um, is growing because the reason why I've been doing so many of these things is because they're competing with the physical store. That's what they're doing. Because mm-hmm. physically, like you said, I can touch and feel it. But how can a brand only wants to be online? How can they compete? And that's where all the technology comes from. So to answer your question, omni-channel is a huge deal right now. You have to be omni-channel. You have to make sure that there's a seamless flow from online and bring more and vice versa. Because again, customers like to do both. Especially mm-hmm. if you offer both, actually, it's better for your brand. So I would say if you are only online, you have to get physical some kind of way, whether it's going to be through a series of pop-up shops or getting into brick and mortar, you need to be physical. So that's something you want to make sure mm-hmm. you're doing. But mm-hmm. how you become omni-channel is basically more, we just said, seamless. I should have the same experience online that I do I have in the store. And my example for that is I find you on social media, right? I see mm-hmm. an ad of yours or something and I go to your website and it is beautiful. It is mm-hmm. luxe. It is gorgeous. It is well, it's well put together. You have great videos. You have all this wonderful engagement. You have great um, photos. You're really getting my storytelling. I love your product story. You have a nice balance. I'm just loving shopping. 
Oh, you have a store in my area? Fantastic. So I'm going to go to your store and it's dirty. It's cluttered. It has poor lighting. It's not merchandising. The windows are not telling me any story. Everything's pulled together. There's no signage. It's the kind of thing. It's a totally different experience. And I like, like this is not the store I just shopped online. Like I bought something mm -hmm. online, but now I want to, I want to actually want to meet you or I want to go there. And now I'm all like, this is not the same brand. Something yeah. must be right. That'd be right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Or vice versa. I go to your store. I find you in the mall. I say, oh my God, this is a beautiful store. You have wonderful windows. You have wonderful spacing, wonderful lighting. Your, your, your presentation is flawless. You have all this wonderful storytelling. You have to walk through. I shop your store for two hours because I just love being in here, engaging with the merchandise and engaging with the, with the storytelling you're telling me, engaging with your product. And then I go on your website because you thought know, oh, maybe I'm out of town. I live in Texas and I'll, now I go and go back home to Florida. And I go to the website, it's conjumbled, it's visually unappealing, it's hard to read, I can't go through it really easily, the colors mm -hmm. don't matter, you were, your colors were pink, now the purple on here, what's going on? So that's how you omni-channel. And then also mm -hmm. making sure that I can buy online, I can pick up in store. That's how you make sure it's an omni-channel, it's seamless. I, I don't see one deviation from wherever you show up. And that's what a lot of um, brands need to really focus on is like they're putting so much time being online perfect and then their store is okay. You can't do that. You have to make sure that my show up brand-wise completely seamless every single way you show up. I love that. And just to hit on one point where you're talking about like the color deviations, you know, from your website to then coming in store and seeing like your planograms, marketing strips, whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, it's not purple, it's pink. And you're like, well, I thought it was purple, you know, and Purple is representative of loyalty, you know, royalty, sometimes like the lavender, you know, going to lighter shades is like representative of calm, cooling mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So just that deviation from purple to pink is big. And that's one thing I even recommend to people I work with, like your packaging, first impression, right? But everything that you are printing out, it needs to all be cohesive and it's all different materials. So you really need to go through the proper exercises to ensure that what you're printing on SBS board, which will be your standard product boxes, is matching the bottles and the labels to um, your planograms, which may be 20 point cardstock font or whatever the different type of paper um, substrate is. All of those things need to connect because to your point, if they're deviating, you're like, this, this is not what I saw online and I thought this was Lux and I'm seeing that. But then the point that you made too, like with some of these retailers, poor lighting, the colors are not popping, even the windows being dirty. You're like, you know what? I'm good. And now the image of the brand is tainted mm -hmm. because those things aren't in place. And the store is not really that upscale experience that you were really hoping and desiring to see. So I think that's really big. And so from your perspective, like what are things that brands could do to ensure that everything is cohesive, how they, how the lighting impacts the color to the color of psychology with brands and consumers coming there to purchase the products. What can brands do to make sure that they're effectively implementing proper visuals with their merchandising? Good question. Again, that goes to where you're going to be. Are you going to be in a big box retailer? Or are you going to be in a mid-size or small? Because again, you have more leeway, more set. So mm -hmm. if you're a big box retailer, like you go, I know 
there's been a um, push with Walmart and with Target to have more elevated um, beauty, beauty supplies and more mm -hmm. elevated areas over there. They, they've done some really great things over there because of that fact that people, when they think of Walmart, they weren't thinking elevated beauty, but now like, oh, wait a minute, this apartment is gorgeous because now they have different brands. And so they'll change the way they come across with the lighting, the fixturing, the, the, the sign package. So you just want to have a sit down talk where they agree to have you in their store. Okay, what is, where, where is our product going to be? How does it look? Visit the store where it's going to go. Okay, well, the light is kind of dark over here. You guys going to fix that light? Talk to them about that. Like, hey, I really want, because it helps them as well. Because if you have to take a stand for your brand, which is you can say, hey, I really want to make sure this is a well-lit area. I really mm -hmm. make sure this, you know, there's some great brands that I'm next to a brand that compliments me for one, two, and you want to make sure they all come cohesive. And then you have a discussion because that helps them as well. Because if your brand sells well, the other brands all around them, they make money. All right, so put mm -hmm. it in that way. But then when you go into a smaller brand or a smaller independent retailer, you have a little, again, a little more leeway, a little more say, like, okay, I want to make sure, okay, you're going to have better lighting when you carry my product. In this section, I'll ask, well, this is where your best lighting is in the store. Can I have this lighting? Okay, I'll pay $50 extra for that. Okay, great. I want to be over here where your best lighting is in the store or right next to the window or whatever, or right next to the front entrance. Mm -hmm. I like this area here. Can we talk about that? So you can have a little bit more negotiation um, power mm -hmm. with the smaller brand because they could be more nimble. They're not mm -hmm. going to a couple, you know, board of directors, a vice president. It's them usually, or you know, yeah. their partner. So they can deal with it more. But you do want to have those conversations regardless, and kind of, and that actually shows that you know what you're talking about, and it shows mm -hmm. that you care about your brand, and it shows that you like, I'm not just some old indie brand that you don't know, but I know what sells, and I know what my right. product needs, and I know my customer, and I know this, and that impresses them. Like, okay, this person's for real. Okay, let me listen to them. You know, I'm gonna do what I can. But again, be patient with the larger brands, but, but don't be afraid to ask for those things. And then mm -hmm. the smaller brands and so have more negotiation up front, like, hey, I'll pay extra $10 a month for this, but I really want to come over here. I really want whatever negotiation is. I really want the best lighting in your store and I really want the best focus. And then work with yeah. that. But come knowing what you want, what you need, and don't be afraid to talk about it. I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And since you mentioned that 85% of consumers still shop in store, what are some key elements brands really should consider like going into these retailer meetings and thinking about, okay, I'm looking at the lighting. I'm looking at the placement um, because a lot of brands think that they're all going to get top shelf placement. And that's not always the case, you know, and that's the real deal. You don't always get top shelf. This ain't, You don't always get top shelf. So what are things that brand owners really need to be intentional about with placement? in these retail stores when they're having the conversation with them? Yeah, good question. Like I, well, one thing I mentioned about making sure that your adjacent brands match your brand. If you are, I go back to, I can go to the Lux face creams for that. If you're a Lux face cream, you don't want to be next to a $2, $10 face cream okay? because that's where they have space, right? Mm -hmm. You want to negotiate, hey, I want to be next to the other brand. Maybe I'm on the second shelf or the third shelf, but everything around me costs $50 or more. I'm fine mm -hmm. with that because that customer is coming to look at that section will see me part of that. Instead of me being over here with the $15 brands, where my customer will be going to, I'm going to miss out on who I'm talking to. So talk about, okay, can I at least, if I'm going to be in a third shelf, can I at least make sure the brands around me are my target market? Because yeah, I'm a third shelf, fine. I'm new to you, that's fine. But you want to make sure adjacency. Then you want to see, again, when you get more comfortable and you have more say, can I get an end cap? Or can I be in about an end cap? Can I get into one of your... Um, when you're doing a feature in cap or feature table, or when you're doing one of your back to school brands or whatever the brand is, mm -hmm. when you're, when that fits your branding, 
when you're doing one of those special, like, you know, Target and Walmart and all these Macy's, they all have like, okay, this is our back to school brand. This is our, you know, um, Black History brand, whatever they're mm -hmm. kind of um, showcase for that particular month. Can I be part of that? Okay, maybe mm -hmm. nine times out of 10 of the year, I'm going to be in this show. We have your color brands. Can I be part of that color brand? Like, figure out ways that you can get, you know, uh, light spot uh, on you as much as possible. And if you can't, like I said, can't be in the top tier, make sure your adjacencies are secure and then you can be called out. And again, the smaller brands, okay, can I have my own cap? Can I have my own table? What would it take for me to be in your aisle? Okay, well, what can I, how can I be in your aisle for at least Christmas? Maybe I can't mm -hmm. be now in the spring because you have another line, but can I, have, can I be your Christmas brand? Or can I be your Easter brand? Whatever that is, negotiate those times when you can get that spotlight on you so customers come in, oh, I saw it over there last week. Well, okay, now I see a table of it. This is great stuff. So you have that more visibility. So it's negotiable depending on where you are, but you want to make sure that everything lines up to make your brand stand out and actually build your story that takes away. I love that. Thank you. And thank you for just being honest and transparent because I know when I go to a store and I'm going to buy, I'm going to just go ahead and say, when I go to MAC Cosmetics and I'm going to buy my lip glass, lip I told y'all lip gloss is my favorite product ever. And Mac, I've been rolling with Mac since I was 13. Okay. She gets me, you know, but <laughs> when I go to, when I go to the store to purchase my Mac products, I know specifically what I'm going for. I am not going for Burst Bees. I am not going for, you know, um, the beauty supply, Rolo lip gloss. I'm not going for that. You have to know your audience. And to that point, you have to know your audience and also the positioning, the packaging, placement, lighting, all of that plays on the color psychology and also the impact as a consumer to really in, be invested into getting your product. And then it's going to be representative of your visual merchandising because you're going to make sure everything is cohesive, your colors align, you have a really good storytelling from web all the way to in-store because like Nicole said, 85% of consumers still shop in-store. So guys, it is a whole strategy. We could talk about this all day, but as we're wrapping up, I do want to ask you this final question, Nicole. What is one of the biggest misconceptions brands have with getting placement in retail, regardless of scale, in reference of their visual merchandising? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think one of the biggest um, misconceptions they have is that it doesn't take off. That it's just like, okay, I have packaging, put my shelf, and I'm good. There's no other extra kind of strategy that has to be involved because they don't know about that part of it. And that's farthest from the truth. There is a strategy like you mentioned earlier. You have to strategize, okay, now you have your packaging is fantastic. Now you have all that. Now when you're in the store, one of the things that people forget is, okay, how do people find you? If I'm just going through the, the aisle and I'm just looking for uh, lip gloss and I don't know about you, how do you let me know about you? That's a strategy. Mm -hmm. It comes from the science. It comes from your self-talkers. It comes from you have anything that kind of calls you out. Do you have a vendor-sponsored um, end cap? Do you have something that actually calls you out? Are you merchandising in a very clean way instead of just everything you sell just throwing up there? It's a, it's a strategy to how, okay, I have a hairline. Okay, first shelf's going to be this. Second shelf's going to be this. So it actually kind of shows a progression of my line. It all has to be a strategy to make sure that there are people shows up correctly. Don't just put it on the shelf. That's not what it is. You don't just have planograms. Planograms are planograms because they're setting things by skew and by what's going to sell and why and where. And that's a strategy. So yeah. not just throwing it up on the shelf, throwing it up on the, on the hook. It's like, okay, when I 
coming through this wall, what am I seeing first? Are they my top five sellers? Yes. Are they my top five colors? Yes. Are they the ones that don't sell as much would be in the bottom? Or am I going, do I have the ability to change it up? Like, you know what? These usually sell for me. They're not selling as much. Can I rearrange them so they're on top? Or can I rearrange some things to move around the planogram? Is the planogram changeable? Is it updatable to be depending on sales or where I am locally? So all of that is a strategy, not just throwing it out there. Oh, I got the second the contract. I'm done. No. That's just the <laughs> beginning. You have a lot more work to do because you want to make sure that you're showing up the way you want to be, you want people to see you and that you're holding, this is key, you're holding the retailer accountable as well. A lot mm. of people make the mistake too, like, oh, I signed the contract and now I'm there. Okay, do you ever check where it is in your store? Do you ever go to the store and check to make sure that how it looks? Have you ever visited the Target you're in? Have you visited the, the wholesale, the whole foods that you're in? Have you gone there? Have you seen how their presentation? Because you're just assuming that they're going to do it. But again, you're one of 50 other brands mm -hmm. and you're, you talk to this person, but the store manager didn't talk to you, right? The store manager didn't talk to you. The visual person didn't talk to you. Go on there and say, hey, this is my brand. Hi, my name is so-and-so. I just want to make sure, okay, according to you know, my contract, this is supposed to be this way. I'm supposed to have a shelf talk where I don't see it. Hold my God. Ooh. So there's a lot to it in that because again, that's what I did. That's what I did for a living. I held stores accountable. <laughs> yeah. I walked into a brand and when Nike asked me, Nike asked all the people with all the visual coordinators, like, go, you go to these stores, make sure our shops are held accountable for what they're supposed to have. We mm. talked to the vice president. We didn't talk to the store manager, but they're putting me to say, hey, this is not supposed to be this way. This is how it's supposed to look and hold them accountable. You do the same thing. Of course, professionally, you know, in a nice way. But again, you sign the contract. You're both in it together. It's contracts on agreement. Yeah. They are getting something from you as well because they're getting money, right? They're getting the sales. Mm -hmm. So you're going to make sure that, hey, to, to have better, for beneficial for both of us, I'm making sure that my product is the best way. That we just, we just, we discussed, this is going to be this way. This is how it's supposed to be. And I want to make sure that it's right. So that's the mm -hmm. biggest conception that sign the dotted line. I'm good. No, you have to go in there and do the work and make sure that your product and your brand is being taken care of. Sorry, a little long-winded, but I get kind of passionate about that. No, and you could tell you're passionate about it because you really want brands to show up, stand out. So they can generate the income that they want, which then helps the retailers, you know, with driving traffic and awareness, because then you're able to build out that full omni-channel experience through your storytelling. So, honey, I love that you're passionate about it. So I love it. And the biggest thing that you mentioned is holding them accountable, holding these retailers accountable based upon what the contract says. I think a lot of times we are scared to do so because to your point, oh, it's this, is this retailer. They're going to do what they say they're going to do. Things happen. They may still have a lot of product in stock, whatever the case may be. Going into the stores and see where your babies are on the shelf and making sure it's in alignment with your contract. So hold them accountable, guys. Okay. That is the ugly truth about this. Hold them accountable based on the contract. So I love it. So guys, as we are wrapping up our interview session with our powerhouse, Nicole Sims, we are about to get into our power round. So I am going to be asking Nicole about some of her favorites that she shared with me, which we actually have in common. And we're going to put some time on the clock and see how quickly you're able to answer it. So you ready? Yes. Okay. So to give some context, so Nicole and I are both dancers and we used to both be choreographers. And I learned this about her leading up to the interview. So I was like, girl, I used to be a dancer too. I love it. So dance is my number one love. I used to do all different styles of dance, tap, jazz, hip hop, lyrical, all of that. So it's so good to meet another fellow dancer and choreographer. 
as well. So for the power round, I'm gonna put the time on, give you 60 seconds and we're gonna (laughs) go ahead and start now. So as a choreographer, you're like the captain of a dance adventure. If you could choreograph a routine for any famous person, who would it be and what style of dance would you choose? It would be Debbie Allen and I would do jazz. I would do uh, African jazz. Oh, I love me some Debbie Allen, baby. Yes. (laughs) Um, As a choreographer, what transferable skills did you gain from dancing that is applicable in retail visual merchandising? Storytelling. Mm, That's a good one. Tell your story creatively. Ooh, I like that. Okay. And then packaging is important because fill in the blank. It tells you who you are as a brand in seconds. Boom! Girl, you did good. I love it. So, really good. And you was quick on your toes, girl. I like it. I like it. And so, as we wrap up for today's episode, Nicole, let everybody know how they can get in contact with you to help ensure that they are working with you to make sure that their brand shows up, stands out through the use of storytelling and visual merchandising. Love to. So you can reach me, my IG. You can DM me anytime. It's creatives with S solutions, the creative solutions. Also, my website is Nicole Sims, N-I-C-H-O-L-E-S-I-M-M-S, theboutiqueexpert.com. And you know, all my services are on there and tons of free stuff on there as well. So definitely check me out there. And then I'm also on LinkedIn under Nicole Sims. So if you want to connect with me there, but I'm always open for DMs. Always looking for emails and contacts. So yeah, I'd love to connect with anyone, talk about vision merchandising, which is I love, as you can tell, and help you out. Awesome. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for being our powerhouse guest here on today's show. And all of her information and respective links will be down in the show notes for you all to ensure that you do connect with Nicole after today's show. So with that being shared, make sure that you as a brand owner is making sure that you're properly standing out in the retail stores because 85% of consumers still shop in store. And so don't let that slip by the wayside because you're only focusing on just the digital strategy. Make sure your retail physical strategy is in place as well. And so for today, thank you all so much for tuning in to the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. I am your host, Megan Young-Gamble. And make sure you go ahead, follow, like, and subscribe to all of our platforms to tune into the next episode. So I'll see you on the next one.